decisions that took seconds to make cost cost us a combined for 34 years of our life. Welcome to Hope, helping other people elevate. My name is Ray Aguilar, your host, and this morning I have the privilege of interviewing a good friend of mine, Danny Contreras. Danny, how you doing this morning? I'm doing good, bro. How you doing? Good, good. I know you, you're a pretty busy man with family, work, and a lot of other things going on, so thank you for taking the time to just uh, share with us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know how important it is that the Listeners get to know you as a person because you are going to be one of the contributors to this podcast as we tackle various issues that relate to incarceration and life after incarceration. And so, you know, you are a perfect example of uh, someone who, you know, continued to be resilient after you paroled and and finally uh, got things going on for yourself. And so definitely want to hear a little bit about that. But uh, before we begin, tell us when you paroled and what you're doing today. Um, I paroled in on uh, June 26, 2011. Um, today, you know, I'm blessed. I have uh, a beautiful wife, a bunch of kids. <laughs> uh, nice. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Little balls of energy. I got uh, I got a good job. I work at the County of Santa Cruz. I'm a health service manager over our medication-assisted treatment program. Um, you know, th- things are good. Got a Amen. Couple houses, Amen. I'm glad to hear that. Yes. Too. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Lord is blessing you. And it's, you know, all, that all traces back to just being faithful, following through with uh, just what God is doing in your life. And so um, definitely happy to hear that. Uh, so before we go into um, your change, tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you were involved in as a young as a young man that landed you in prison. Yeah, I mean. I would say that uh, most of my life, because of how we grew up, uh, was in drugs and gangs, probably trying to find that acceptance in the streets. And uh, that ended up landing me in prison uh, or landing me locked up at 17 years old for a first degree murder and, and a gang enhancement and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and, you know, I, I started making changes while I was in juvenile hall, you know, uh, I felt like God was uh, calling me, and uh, and I couldn't uh, I couldn't refuse that call. It was something that I couldn't I couldn't keep running from. And so, uh, while incarcerated, I felt like God put four walls around me, so I couldn't run no more from that. And and I started making changes inside juvenile hall that uh, had drastic effects all the way through my prison sentence, and and then today, being out out of the whole system. And so uh, you're, you're, you know, you mentioned um, just getting involved in gangs. And so how, how early would you say that that began when you begin to associate with a lot of antisocial, um, well, this particular antisocial group? How old would you say you were? Uh, you know what? I think I, I felt like I was like a late bloomer. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think more like seventh grade. Uh, you know, and I remember being in elementary and, you know, not everybody's involved in all that stuff, but there were a certain group of people when I was younger that uh, were already involved in that type of stuff. And uh, I, I tried to stay away from it as much as I could. But uh, around seventh grade, that's when I really started uh, feeling that need for acceptance or whatnot and, and getting involved and hanging out. And and uh, I remember to the point, you know, it was like, you 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 can't just hang out, man. You got to you got to get jumped in or you got to you got to do something. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that conversation always comes, huh? Yeah, you've been hanging out long enough. It's time to uh, 
be a part of this. Yeah, yeah, I remember those conversations. <laughs> yeah, so probably, so probably around seventh grade, I, I remember I had to fight one of my good friends uh, in the junior high bathroom. <laughs> mm. The things we go, the things that we experience as a as young man, huh? Yep. And those were those. Sadly, those were our rite of passages. You know, yeah. when you start to think, "Oh man, I'm, I'm arriving. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a man. I'm a young man." Yep. Uh, so, so you, you hit the the county jail, is it, or juvenile hall at the age of seventeen? Seventeen years old. Yep, juvenile hall. First degree uh, murder, and and what was going through your mind at that time when your fate? I mean, did you understand the gravity of your situation, or no? As a young man, you didn't. You just. You know what? I, mean, I don't think. I don't think it. I don't think it had hit me yet. You know, I, I think I was more like, oh, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to get out, you know, in the beginning. Uh, you know, I felt like, you know, hey, I didn't, I just got caught up in some mess. You know, I didn't, I didn't even kill the guy. Uh, I went after the guy because I thought uh, he had stabbed one of my friends and, and the dude ended up uh, already being stabbed a bunch of times. And uh, I ended up getting arrested at the scene, holding my best friend who had got stabbed too, four times. Uh you know, holding all his wounds and stuff to save his life. And that's how I was arrested. So I felt like, man, I didn't do nothing wrong, you know? Right. And uh, this, everything will come out and, and I'll get out of here. But uh, <laughs> that didn't happen. Sadly, that delusion is after, <laughs> after four or five years, that it slowly fades away, huh? Yeah, I think, I think that, that faded away uh, within the first year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe four or five years working on trying to see, oh, how can I appeal this? How do I right, <laughs> right, this work this angle, you know? But Yeah, it seems like everybody goes through the same grieving process. You know how they have the five stages of grief? Man, they got the five stages of uh, um, dealing with your incarceration, huh? Yeah. You start to go through all kinds of head changes. Yeah. Yeah. So so you're so you're in, in, in juvenile hall, and, and what was it that really got to you? Because – um. You know, you're living this, you, you know, you're living this lifestyle. You see how this lifestyle landed you in, in, in jail for, you know, a significant amount of time. And what was it that got your attention? You know, be, uh, before I had, I have to go back before I got arrested. You know, I had, I was living in Salinas and uh, I had just left Paso Robles because uh, it's basically getting into too much trouble, but not enough trouble where, where uh, I got caught for too much stuff for about a year. So I was on juvenile probation like high supervision or whatnot. And I hadn't got in trouble in a year. And they were basically like, if you don't get in trouble for you, you get off, but they didn't let me off. Uh, and uh, so I basically moved back to Salinas and my grandfather is a pastor of a church and, you know, I'm selling drugs. I'm going back and forth between pastoralists on Amtrak, bringing drugs to my homeboys and, and uh, having them sell them while I'm, while I'm sitting over there in Salinas. I'm not doing no drugs or nothing or drinking or anything. You know, my, my grandfather's a pastor. So you know, there was some, there was always some sense of, you know, having a twisted mind, some sense of having some respect for my elders. Uh, mm -hmm. And so when I would be over there, especially that he, he's a pastor, I would not try to be involved in too much stuff, but I was still doing things, running drugs through his house and stuff like that. And, and before I left back over there to Salinas, uh, one of my friend's mom gave me a Bible and, uh, you know, I just took it out of respect for her uh, and I didn't have no intentions on reading it. And when I got over there to uh, Salinas, you know, uh, my other friend had gave me this book by Tupac, uh, by Quincy Jones, like that they had published after he had, he had passed away. And I remember reading that. I, that was like the first book I ever read in my life, really. <laughs> from cover to cover? Yeah, from cover to cover. Mm, yeah. 
and reading that book, uh, you know, I started seeing it was they had some stuff about Tupac when he was locked up, or how he had like a clear mind, and he was sharing how he was like researching the Bible or or religious stuff, and and then I was, you know, uh, he had that tattoo. Only God can judge me, and and there was a scripture that he used. Uh, Revelations 20, 13 through 15, right? Basically saying that everybody's going to come stand before God when this life is over and, and you're going to be judged on what you did. You know, you're going if your name's in the book of life, if you accepted Jesus, then that's where you're going to be. You're going to go to heaven. If not, you're going to go to hell. And I felt like God started talking to me and it kind of intrigued me that Tupac was reading the Bible or anything religious, right? I wasn't really into it right. that. So I, I was like, you know, I'm a, I pulled that Bible that my friend's mom gave me off the shelf. And I just started reading it from Matthew, Mark, Luke. You know, I didn't understand nothing about the Bible. I didn't understand the Gospels, none of that. When I was reading through it. I was like, man, this is this is stupid. It just keeps saying the same thing about Jesus over and over. You know, I just didn't understand the that there were there were their own accounts of what happened during Jesus' right. time. You know, so I was like, man, forget this. I'm gonna read Revelations where Tupac was talking about. And as I read that book in the Bible, it felt like God started speaking to me, like. Like you're ready to die the way you're living, and uh, mm. it spooked me. It spooked me. I I closed the Bible. I was like, man, I'm cool. I'm close closing this Bible, man. This thing's talking to me, and uh, right. and you know, I conversations or prayers with God like I've never had before, and you know, even to the point where I was like cursing and cussing God out, like, why you want me now? I felt like God was telling me it's time for you to get right, you know, or you right. or you gonna die the way you're living and. And I, you know, I can't, I couldn't answer that question uh, legitimately, like I'm living right or not, because I'm not, you know, I, there was still a bunch of stuff that I wanted to do that was not right. Uh, whether that was taking somebody's life or, or doing some acts of violence towards somebody. And it, it just felt like God was just heavy on my head or heart. Like I couldn't hear an audible voice, but I felt like. Right, I but you hear, knew he was speaking to your yeah, heart, right? I felt like I could hear it even though I couldn't hear the audible voice, you know, like, I don't know, it was like right. speaking inside my heart or something. And it was just spooky, man. And I just put that Bible. Down. <laughs> I said, man, I'm closing this book. This thing's crazy. This thing's scaring the hell out of me. And, right. You know, you try to push it out of your head and, and like act like it not happened. And then, uh, still running, huh? still running. And then I remember going to my grandfather's church, you know, I would go to his church just out of respect. And I would go in there and play with the kids and the priest or was it a uh, Sunday school? Go out of the right. go out of the church like 20, 30 times going down the next door to the liquor store and get some <laughs> gum or candy and come back. You know, I just didn't want to hear none of that stuff. And uh right before uh uh before the service was over, this guy had came from Cuba and he was a missionary, you know, and everybody everybody knows that I'm the pastor's grandson or my family, you know. Uh this guy doesn't know that though. And so me and two other two other guys uh my age that we pretty much had grown up in my grandfather's church. Uh, they called three of us up to the front, that guy and, and, uh, and my, uh, the other two guys went up to the front, you know, and I didn't, I was like, man, I'm not going up there. This guy's tripping, you know? And, uh, they went up there and he's like, you want to pray for us? And, uh, I went all the way to the back of the church. I was like, no, nah, I'm good. And then he's, this guy starts pleading with me to go up there. He's asking me if I know Jesus and all this stuff. I was like, no, nah, I don't know Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I don't want Jesus. You need Jesus. You know, I was just being hella rebellious and disrespectful. And, and I remember my grandmother just turning around, looking at me like disgusted, like you better get up there. Right. And uh, I wouldn't go up there. I would not go up there. And I remember, you know, I had already felt like God was talking to me. 
So I, yeah. I was like, man, God, if that's really you, if that's really you, you know, in my head, I'm saying this, well, this guy's up there pleading with me to get right with him. I was like, let me sling dope for two more years, get all my money right. And then I'll go do, I'll stop everything and I'll do whatever you want me to do, you know? Right. And just so twisted in my head, you know, and, uh, and that guy's up there pleading with me. I mean, he's telling me all kinds of stuff. He's like, God, 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 plans for you. He's going to give you favor with the youth. He's going to do this. But I felt so, uh, I don't know if he was ashamed or like, uh, prideful that this guy put me on blast and the whole entire church just turned around looking at me all the way in the back of the church. And so I left, I left like the next day or two. And I went back to Paso Robles and then I got arrested within uh, two months or a month of the, this murder. And so when I was sitting in juvenile hall, I knew, you know, I felt like Jonah in the belly of the wall. I knew like I was running from God, you know, I, I, right. I knew it. I felt like God's like, you ain't going to run no more. There's four walls now and uh, it's time to face me. And, uh, and I struggled with that in the beginning. You know, I kept saying, nah, nah, I'm going to beat this. I'm going to get out of here. I didn't, I didn't want to bow down. I didn't want to submit. I didn't want to. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to get out of this. And then I remember the chief of probation would go by my cell in the beginning. His name was John Lum. He ended up losing his job later on for standing up for all of us, uh, you know, for trying to give everybody equal rights or treating people like humans. And wow. uh, he would come by every day and, like, hand, like, show that little Gideon Bible through the window. <laughs> and I was like, I'll okay. be like, and he, he ain't a Christian or nothing. You know, I would be like, no, nah, I don't want that good and then uh one day i finally accepted i said yeah just shoot it man and then i started reading that the bible again and i was reading somewhere in proverbs uh where it was like god was gonna turn his back on me now because i turned my back on him and i was like nah god man <laughs> like, like i'm already here you might as well help me out now if, if, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> right, I, know right. I ran you know and then i'm starting going through these struggles and prayers with God, like, all right, I messed up. Help me out. Let me figure, let's figure this right. out, you know. And then I remember getting arraigned in the courtroom and the judge being there. The judge I had seen many times before on all my previous trips. And the judge was kind of shocked to see me because I, I hadn't been in trouble for like a year. Or at least I, I hadn't been caught for anything. And uh, he was right. like, I hope this ain't true, Mr. Contreras. Uh and then, uh, and then they arraigned me for the first degree murder and all the other charges. You know, they, you know, they stack everything on there, stuff that ain't even true, just, just right. to see what sticks. Uh, and so, I remember coming back to the juvenile hall that night, and my other, my other homeboy Weddle that, uh, that had got stuck, he had finally got released from the hospital. You know, after they had stapled all his uh, stab wounds up, and uh, I remember one of the guards, his name was Rex. He told me, "Hey, your your homeboy wants you to go to church." And I'm like, cool. I'm a, you know, he's on a different unit, so I'm like, cool. He put, so we can meet up and chop it up, and you know, make sure we got all our stuff straight or figure things out. Right. That was church was always, uh, <laughs> if people don't know, that was always the meeting place for people from different yards, different units, different modules to meet yeah. up and just reconnect. And the, the San Luis right. Obispo Juvenile Hall is a small juvenile hall. You know, they got center unit, East Wing, and and uh, uh, West Wing. And so I was on West Wing and he was on East. And uh, so they brought, they, they had a group of guys coming there, Mending Broken Vessels. That, that's what their name was. A bunch of guys that had been to prison and had, were Christians now, older guys and some some youngster too from Santa Maria. And, uh, you know, I go to the church service and my homeboy ain't there. And I'm like, what the heck, man? 
And then I find out they put a non-association <laughs> on us, so we can't even associate at all, not even in the juvenile hall. They have to keep us separated. And I was like, what the heck? So I'm sitting in there. The guy who's sitting next to me is somebody issues with in the past. And one of his brothers that got into it with one of my one of my friends. And uh, I didn't know it at the time, but he was in there for shooting at one of my friends or at least uh, going back to seek retaliation for one of my friends beating him up uh, pretty good. And, and uh, so he was sitting next to me and these guys are preaching, you know, and I didn't really hear nothing, but they had this kid going there and he was like 25 years old. He was from Northwest, uh, a neighborhood in Santa Maria. And he was sharing how he used to sell drugs and do all this stuff. And, and, you know, he ended up becoming a Christian. His mom was praying for him the whole time. And I just remember like relating so much. I never, I never in my life really felt like I related to anybody that said they were a Christian. I always felt like that was something you do once you did did all your dirt and right before you're about to die, you say a prayer. So you go to heaven, you don't go to hell or something like that, you know? And, uh, that guy gave his testimony. And at the end, I remember the other guy, uh, he, he did the sinner's prayer with us. And so I remember them doing it. I did it with them. And I was like, you know what, God, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. I don't know. You know, I mean, you know, what's up, you know, I didn't really go out to go kill that guy. Uh, you know, I saved my best friend's life. I was like, I, sh I shouldn't even be here, you know, but I'm like, I don't know how to change. You know, that was my prayer. I don't know how to change. I don't want to change. There's still a part of me that wants to do crazy stuff, you know, and do a bunch of stupid stuff, right. sinful stuff that I know that's not right. And I need you to change me. If, if you can change me and you can get rid of this life sentence, I'll do whatever you want me to do, man. And, and that was like my sincere prayer. Like, you know, I don't know how to change. I need you to do it somehow. I don't, I don't know how that works, but, uh, that was my prayer. And, and, uh, and that night, you know, it felt like things started to change. You know, things didn't happen overnight. The whole, the whole right. juvenile hall, uh, even them, some of the guards that I had been in there before in the past, they started noticing like little changes in me, you know, and I was still, still, still a lot, a lot of rough around the edges in certain places, you know, uh, and, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Because it, change doesn't happen overnight, my man. There's a it's a yeah, process. So, uh, oftentimes, you bring that same baggage that you had with you to the faith, huh? Yeah, there's a lot of things. And slowly but surely, God starts. Yeah, he got to start it. cutting it out, or start pruning you, or start you know working on you. And, right. and you know, I was off the hook still a little bit, like cussing everybody out. Uh, I remember the the they used to have to read all my mail uh, because of my case and the uh, notoriety of it or whatnot. And uh, the lady who used to read my mail used to come to me and she's like, I'll let you send out because I was getting like indigent mail. You could send out a letter a day. She's like, I'll let you send out two letters if you stop cussing so much. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would come talk to me, you know, because I wouldn't think nothing of it. Sometimes, you know, some somebody I'll hear get word that somebody's picking on one of my friend's little sisters or something like that. And I'll shoot a letter and I'll be like, hey, tell tell." Go tell him to go check in with the other homie, and he'll take care of that. For, for not thinking nothing of that, you know. Uh, and I remember them coming and talking to me. Hey, man, that's like a threat. You better, uh, we're gonna let you rip this letter up, and you write, you write a different letter. You can't be writing that kind of stuff. And I was like, but that's not a threat. I'm just telling him to go check in with them, you know. You're like, hey, this is like normal life to you, huh? And they're like, wait a minute, no, 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 you can't be yeah. doing that. <laughs> so I mean, every every Wednesday became my like my church service, whenever those people will come in, many broken vessels, the way, the way they, 
shared the gospel and, and those stories like gave me strength, gave me hope, encouraged me. And then I felt like I could relate to all of them, um, what they had been through, you know, and, and I had never seen that before. And things started making sense that never made sense in that Bible as I was reading it every day. Mm. And, uh, man, I got, I will get the whole juvenile hall praying <laughs> the kids, the guards, all of them, you know, <laughs> it, it was right. a trip. Now, now, now I know juvenile hall, is a different experience from, from oh, yeah. prison, right? I mean, because eventually you found yourself um, going to an adult prison at the age of 17, right? Yeah, or or were you a little I older by this time? Hall till I was in juvenile hall uh, so I was in juvenile hall. I got found fit. I went through all the fitness hearings and all that stuff. Uh, and I had turned 18 in juvenile hall. And then when I got, when I found fit as an adult after all the fitness hearings and all that, so it was like a mini trial in juvenile hall uh, or juvenile court. Uh, when I think it was around November or so, uh, I got sent, I got sent to the County jail once I got found fit as an adult. And then I got sent straight to the hole because of the notoriety of all the stuff all over that. Right. And, uh, so even that was like a, uh, a different experience, you know, going straight from the juvenile hall where I had some freedom. I was going to juvenile court school every day and, uh, there was tons of programs to going straight to the hole. Uh, not really ever being in the hole, uh, you know, except for being locked up in juvenile hall in yourself for uh, a certain amount of time. But I was going straight. I went straight to 100 block in, in the San Luis Obispo County Jail. And just sitting in there was like, wow, like this is just, you know, I don't come out every couple hours, every couple days for a shower or go to yard. Most of the time they would ask you if you want to go to yard at like six or seven in the morning or hella early where you wouldn't go to yard because it's freezing out there in this little cave. And right. uh, no, no food like they had in food in juvenile hall. The food in juvenile hall was bomb. The county jail food was nasty. And uh, and then right. and then experiencing, looking at everybody's coming in. You know, I'm watching everybody's coming into the hole. You know, we're talking. People are talking through the vents and stuff like that. I'm watching dudes that I was in juvenile hall with their their dads and uncles in the in the hole with me. You know, it was just just I was just watching right, like right. I just it was just a trip to see all the generational stuff you know like damn that's that's what's his name's dad or that's what's his name's uncle that fool just knocked that dude out no wonder why (laughs) why his kids like that look at it you know just tripping out on all this stuff i remember even this guy uh he's about to get a life sentence and uh he was like he ain't gonna get the life sentence he's like he'd rather take his life and the dude killed himself in the hole where we were at uh i don't remember how he did it. he hung himself i just remember that you know they have in the hole over there they have a little a little uh spot through the door where they like a little slot or something they open it up during chow time and uh and then they slide the food in there to you you know and and they were coming back to pick up all the trays and they stopped up during the second tier in the hole and all of a sudden all the guards came and medical staff and all that and they basically the dude was dead he took his life he's like i ain't, I ain't gonna get a life sentence right. you know and uh yeah i remember them drag uh i shouldn't say dragging they were carrying him down the stairs but i remember them uh you know they they like hit his head a couple times on the stairs while he was going down the stairs trying to get him down the stairs and throw him in a wheelchair and and cart him off to wherever they take him you know when they're dead uh but i just remember seeing that at uh as a teenager i'm still a teenager you know just tripping out like dang i fool just killed himself you know and i remember struggling with that stuff too you know thinking like i'll just kill myself they're gonna give me a life sentence you know uh, or thing like it was like mm-hmm. a former way of taking back your power or something, you know. And I remember going through that and sitting the whole thing about that. 
uh, and then watching that and be like, damn, I don't want to go out like that, man. Uh, just, just right. trip. And then the next year. No, it's crazy when you're, yeah, when you're young and the things that go through your head, yeah. you know. I remember one of the biggest things that when, when I got my life sentence, my co-defendant told me, man, we're just going to go up into prison and make a name for ourselves. And I was like, well, like, what you mean? He's like, man, we're just going to be stabbing a bunch of people and, and, and just find ourselves, you know, gaining some status. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, you know? But, I mean, it's crazy that the, the things, the, the messages that, that, you know, your people send you just through forms yeah. of conversation. And I mean, you know? I think I, all that stuff was going through my head, whether it was suicide, whether it was trying to figure out a way to escape, whether it was uh, thinking about that, too, like – yeah, I go to prison, get life, or just go all the way out. You know, might as well. I don't have nothing left to live yeah, for. I'm right. just hopeless now. You know, you all that stuff right. going through your right. head. You know, and and it's just a trip, just a trip. And then so I, I was in the county jail in the hole, and then I was my attorney. I ended up going through like two or three different attorneys. I was firing them, uh, and uh, you know, my attorney didn't really do that great of a job during the fitness hearing because I felt like I should have stayed in juvenile court to go to YA instead. You know, I would have got out when I was like 25 right. or something. Uh, and so my, my. And then instead, instead uh, you got 30, out at what 29, age? right? Right before my 30th birthday, like weeks before mm -hmm. my 30th birthday. Okay. Uh, and. Uh, okay. And I remember, you know, we filed, my new attorney filed a petition for me to go back to juvenile court. And so they granted me to go back to the juvenile hall since I was still uh, a teenager. And at least I could go try to do the juvenile court school and try to get a high school diploma or something, you know, because uh, I wasn't doing nothing, just sitting in the hole, you know, and uh, right. And it was, I don't know, it was just a trip. They eventually granted it and they let me go back. So I, we were going back through the process of trying to get back in juvenile court and then that didn't land through. So they let me stay in the juvenile hall. And then when uh, when I finally took a plea bargain after about a year or so, uh you know, I was going to go pick, I was going to go pick my jury for the trial. And I was going through all kinds of stuff with all that stuff. You know, you, you go through a lot of uh, different things with that, you know, trying to get stuff dropped to manslaughter, changing judges, saying this, you know, right. they're, you know, there's just a lot, a lot of stuff. But uh, basically I took a deal for 14 years. Uh, it would, they, they kind of tricked me. They told me that uh, if you take this manslaughter and gang enhancement, you know, this is what my attorney was telling me. The judge and DA are saying they, they see they were about eight years. You know, they wouldn't put nothing in writing. I'm so naive, young, don't really know the system. But there was something in my gut that was telling me that ain't right, man. They're going to they gonna break me off. You know, they just, this is like their hook to to take me in. Because I had a really good, I had a good shot of almost beating the case. Right? So I think the DA was scared right. of that. But I was also scared too. Like, if I don't, this is really rolling the dice. If I don't, if I don't, uh, you know, I can catch this life sentence quick, you know, or, or I could be all the way off. Right. Right. And, and at, at that point it's psychological, bro. And that's why a lot of people end up, uh, yeah, settling I got, for I got, I got know, people like, man. from the pen. I have enemies writing me from the pen. Uh, you know, they had, they, there was this other guy, his name was David Ray. They were in there for killing one of my, uh, friend's cousins the year before. And, uh, he wrote me through like his foster mom and told him, Hey, whatever he what whatever's going on with him, tell him if they offer him a deal, jump on it. Cause all of them, there was like five of them. They all offered him like 11 years. That's what he told, told them to tell me. 
and they all didn't jump on it and they all got 15 in life. You know, they, and so he was, he was, so to me, as yeah. somebody who's my enemy from another game, getting a kite telling me just jump on anything they take you, uh, give you as long as it's not a life sentence because they wouldn't wish that on, on their enemy. You know what I mean? And I was like, man, that's crazy. And sadly, you know, I, I had a dormy that reminds me. Yeah, no, I had a dormy that they offered him eight years. He he said no nah, because they didn't you know he he didn't do what, the crime that he was accused for, went to trial got found guilty and ended yeah. up with fifty eight to life, and I'm like wow how is it that you get offered eight years by the state and then end up with fifty eight years to life because you decided yeah, to go crazy. to trial. I even remember when I was when it's I was insane. in the county I was going yeah. back and forth to all the court hearings, you know there was this other dude from uh, Oceano his name was Muscles, that dude was crazy, <laughs> you know I'm tripping on this stuff you know this this dude all the whenever I would come into the courtroom he would. Most of the time he was going with me too to court because we had the same attorney, and he would shield me from all the, all the news reporters. They're just snapping pictures of me left and right, and then he had like a third strike, and they offered him a deal for like four years, and and he was like, "Now nah, I'm cool. I'll just take the third strike and take my I, I don't remember what it's like fifty years of life." I was like, "Dude, you crazy? You gonna get a life sentence?" He's like, "They'll change these laws one of these days. I'll just go sit on the shelf here and there, and then then I'll get released. What am I gonna take a deal for four years?" And now I'm just going to get in trouble again and come back and face another life sentence. And he just took a life sentence instead of a four-year deal. I was like, damn, you're freaking crazy. You know, so just watching, wow. like, all that stuff around me and considering that. I mean, I had, when I was in the juvenile hall, my grandmother came and offered me the deal because I, I refused to take it. You know, when they first offered it, I was like, hell no, I'm not taking nothing. Uh, I shouldn't even be here. I should get off or the least amount of time as possible. And my, I mean, my grandmother came visit me that day. She, I remember she came to the juvenile hall and she like cussed me out in the juvenile hall visiting room. She was like, you better take this deal <laughs> and not get a life sentence. What's wrong with you? And, she, yeah. and then they had sent all the juvenile hall counselors to me, talking to me. Uh, you know, I got that kite from the dude from the pen around that time. Everybody was like, take the deal, take the deal. Don't get a life sentence. You're going to mess up. And I would be like, I'm going to, I'm the one that's going to do all the time. Like, I know, yeah, you guys are impacted too, but yeah. I'm the one that's going to be there. Not, so, you know, I don't want to take this deal. I don't want to do this. And just, I felt like I was pressured from everybody. No. And not really knowing the system. Definitely, if I would have, you know, going back now, all the stuff I know now, I would have did things a lot differently. You know, we always probably would. But uh, I knew it. Like, when I took the deal, I even I remember telling one of the guards, I was like, I have a feeling if I take this deal, they're just doing this to bait me in to take the deal. And then they're going to give me the full maximum sentence on this. And and then that's what happened when I took the deal. You know, they my attorney they ran they ran through the things in the court proceeding. Did anybody promise you anything? I was like, yeah, they promised me. Sometimes they were like, talk to your attorney, off off record, you know. And uh, and uh, he's like, you just gotta go through this, man. You gotta say that for this, and and this is what they told us in the back room. And I'm like, man, I had a bad feeling. And yep, sure enough, sentencing goes through 14 years, and the judge even told me during the sentencing he was like this is the crazy part right it's like they knew that uh that it wasn't true you know he's like now mr Contreras, i know i know this is a you know a long sentence and whatnot but you'll still be a fairly young man when you get out and don't think this your life is over now you know there was there was some story i, I think it was that movie hurricane or something there was a guy about some boxer that went to prison and he got out and he ended up doing something good with his life and becoming an Olympic star or something. So I don't remember what it was, but he told me a story like that while he was sentencing me. And in my head, I was like, are you telling me between the lines that you know that I didn't do this, but you, you're still going to break me off. 
And it was just crazy, man. Right, right. It's almost like they needed to close the yeah, books. Yeah, the DA was so excited when I took this whole He thing. was so excited they didn't when care. He they didn't, yeah. They don't care who's accountable. Yes, so just because somebody's when, accountable. When I took the deal, the DA, he even, like, put his arm, like, you know, how you like, yes. He put his arm back uh, forth. And uh, I remember, you know, I had already been. Yeah, like, he was excited. Like a cheer? Like a cheer? And I was like, man, it's crazy. And then he told me, good luck. Well, they're, <laughs> they're kidding me. I remember, you know, I had been reading the Bible every day. I had already read the Bible a few t- quite a few times from front to cover and praying and all that stuff. And I remember, you know, uh, yeah. there's a scripture in, in Thessalonians that says, you know, thank God for all things, you know, uh, and all things give praise or thanks. And I was like, I remember when they sent me, I was like, man, God, I don't know. I'm going to thank you for this. I don't know why I'm thanking you for this, but your Bible tells me to. And uh, I know somehow, some way you're going to see me through this. And I remember after they sent me saying that, in my head, a prayer to God real quick on that, like thanking him, even though it isn't what I wanted, you know? And I remember just looking at all my family and everybody, the courtroom was packed with everybody. And I just remember looking at all of them, like saying my goodbye to everybody, you know? Cause I don't know what, what's going to happen from here on out. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's amazing because here you are, you're experiencing all this emotional turmoil, confusion, you know, but that still didn't uh, detract you. It didn't uh, discourage you from what God was doing in, in your life. And so you hit state, you accept this deal, you hit this, you hit state with 14 years and uh, you continued on that journey of change. And how was that? How was that experience? Oh, it was a whole different, whole different thing. Just, I mean, just going to the county and reestablishing yourself and just trying to change uh, is different. And then once you hit the pen, it's even more different. You know, it's like every, everywhere I went, I had to reestablish that. Like, this is what I'm doing uh, to whoever, you know, the gang showing your paper, paperwork. And, and, and it's crazy how, how the culture is so um, contrary to what you're trying to do. It, it, it's the exact opposite. It, it don't want you to change. It don't want you to break those bondages. It, it wants you to stay in the grips of addiction and, and that cycle it's 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 actually kind of pretty scary yeah. it's pretty satanic yeah. no, think no for it. sure like i mean i remember coming in and telling people you know there there was part of me that was scared too you know i'm i'm this kid <laughs> still you know i remember just coming in there and right. uh, these guys ain't gonna pay attention to me they're gonna be like who cares man you better you better get with the business you know uh and it was and it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't that i was scared to not to not be violent or be attacked or anything it was like i found a different way of life and i'm trying to walk out this way you know uh i have no problem fighting or defending myself right. or doing any of that stuff and uh you know i would see other dudes that were my age would be like come to me and like man you you for real bro like you 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 done danny you ain't gonna you ain't gonna you ain't gonna gangbang you ain't gonna do none of this no more like this you know and i would be like nah man what i mean what's you know, for me, looking at everything and even learning everything while I was in prison, like, it was like, man, I'm going to, I keep living like this. I'm going to end up dead. Or I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in here. And it's going it, to, it, there's no hope in this. You know, there's no future in this. There's ain't, this ain't, this ain't, uh, you know, this is, this isn't what I want. I want to one day, I know it's a long ways from now right. at that time. I want to one day get out of here and do something different, man. Cause this, this is not what I signed up for, you know? And even, even when I was a kid, even when I was a kid, it was, it's a right. whole different mentality and culture in prison. And depending on what neighborhoods you grew up in and whatnot, you know, uh, 
the I was never right. taught to get caught. I was never taught like it was a honor to go to the pen or any of that stuff, you know. So when I'm seeing all this stuff, I'm like, man, these fools are crazy. You're crazy. You want to come to the pen like you go kick it with the big homie? <laughs> I'm cool. I'm trying not to get cracked, you know. Even even watching yeah. them do removals or or the stuff yeah. that they would do on the prison yard, I would be like, man, this is this is. I don't know how everybody's with this, you know. Like they're they're set up against themselves to just do themselves on their yeah. own selves wrong, you know. Even them telling people to go hit each other. For whatever rules they broke, they're doing it right in front of the cops, and uh, and they're all getting in trouble and getting more time. It's like you know, it's like that saying, "Misery loves company," and, and we're so blinded that everybody's just jumping on the thing, like, "Oh yeah, I gotta go back to the hole, I gotta go back to the shoe, or I gotta go here, and I'm gonna make a name or I'm a status." To me, it was like, you know, as a as a my criminal mindset was like, if I did something like that, I'm not trying not to get caught, you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not trying to do that. I, this doesn't make no sense to me. This doesn't make no sense to me. This whole, this whole structure of the prison system and the gangs and all that stuff, that don't make sense to me. If you go, if you go, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to glorify that stuff in any way, but like if you go and stick somebody or do something, you don't do it in front of the cops. You do it somewhere else where you don't get caught and then let them just get that guy, you know. And uh, and I, I just didn't understand that. There was no future in none of that. I was like, man, I don't want to be part of none of that. That's stupid. Like, I want to try to do something different. God already started changing my heart and my life. I started having emotions and feelings that I didn't have before, you know. You know, it's 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 amazing how when you're saying this, you know, I'm thinking to myself that one of the biggest things that I struggled with was, you know, on the streets, I was a gang member. And, and so, you know, you're used to just kind of rival, you know, uh, going at it with other gangs and then you hit, you hit prison and you're, you're like, everybody's together and you have this guy telling you what to do. And it was like, on the streets, I, no one was telling me what to do. I was living, you know, according to my rules. And that was one of the things that I struggled with. Like, how do I just come to prison? And now, like, I'm listening to this guy that I don't even know. And he's yeah. telling me, he's dictating my program, you know? And and, and I remember a couple of times I was like, you know, going to get myself into a wreck because they're like, oh, no, that dude, he's the one that's calling the shots. And I'm like, what? He ain't calling my shots, you know? And they're like, no, nah, that's not how it works. This ain't the streets. And, I, you know, I wrestled with that, you know, because I was just a, I was a gang member. I wasn't no... You know, prison conformist. Yeah. You know, you, even, just, even saying yeah, that, I would, like all the stuff that you're thinking and going through while you're going inside prison from being criminal or gang member on the streets and all that stuff. You know, it's right. You had your own way of life. Like, whether your parents were trying to teach you right or not, right. like we didn't even listen to our own parents. And now we're in the pen and we're listening to somebody else who right. ain't got their life straight either, which doesn't even make sense. That like all that stuff was like. I felt like God right. was showing me this. Yeah, it's so backwards. Don't it was just so, no so backwards. It's like, right. man, this is so crazy. And even when I would see certain people who had stuff or status, I would be like, you know, that dude's a weenie. You know? Or I <laughs> Yeah, it's funny because I would think the same thing. Like, man, this dude is a lame. He's yeah. going to be calling and, shots and, for me. You know, I mean, you oh, don't go hey. all that stuff, you know, but you, you're just <laughs> tripping out on that. And I remember sometimes, you know, later on, which we probably can get in on another, another thing. I remember... When my brother came to the pen, uh, there was a lot of stuff around that. Nobody wanted me to hang out with my brother as a Christian and my brother as a northerner. And uh, they didn't want me to conversate or talk to my brother. And and I'm thinking like, man, who, who the heck are you to to tell me I can't talk to my brother or tell my right. brother that he can't talk tell to me. me? You know, we're blood. And if nothing, if anything else, I'm the one that brought him into this right. lifestyle. And uh, and that's why he's where he's at now, 
You know, he might have did his own. He did his own stuff, but like, how is somebody else gonna tell us that we can't talk to each other? And so, you know, I would struggle with that as a Christian inside prison. Like, right. man, I know who got the keys right here. I'll just take off on him, <laughs> you know, or or some, something. You know, I catch yeah. him slipping and see how tough he is then by himself. But you know, I would just and you know, there's all these struggles right. that you go through as you know, because you're changing your life, but you're still there's still that part of you that that thinks uh, negative or bad things, and you have to keep that stuff in check, you know, and and. Uh, I remember struggling with that. And I remember, you know, even some of the brothers like, hey, bro, uh, these guys ain't playing. Like, you know, come talk to, talk to me and tell me, hey, they're, they'll do something uh, if you don't stop, you know, conversating with your brother or whatnot. Or or even they told my brother, too. And so, right. you know, at some point you just got to humble yourself. And I remember just like, all right, God, you're going to take care of this situation. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to follow this. I'm not going to do this. Uh, and And I remember telling my brother. And like, you know, do what you got to do and get out of here, bro, and don't ever come back, you know? And it's just a trip to mm-hmm. see all the different things that go through and how twisted we were and then to get start going through the system. I, I mean, I remember at that time, I hadn't seen my brother for over six years. The last time I seen my, my brother was already in juvenile hall when I was in the juvenile hall because uh, CPS had took him and, right. uh, and he was going through all these foster homes and group homes. And then uh, he ended up assaulting somebody in one of the group homes. And that, he was already in the juvenile hall when I got in there. And so my brother was off the hook and he had a lot more other trauma stuff than me. And I mean, he was getting pepper sprayed like every day in juvenile hall. They would come get me from the other unit, from West unit, and bring me over to the East unit to talk to my brother, to try to calm him down. You know, sometimes he'll be in the <laughs> in the padded room with the, with the, the, you know, they only have like that clothes or whatever. Uh, you know, so, and because he was going off on the right. cops, getting pepper sprayed every day, fighting with people. And they were like, man, come get your brother. Calm him down. And, uh, you know, I remember the last time I'd seen him before I seen him in prison, they were sending him to Helicon Youth Center in Riverside. And I didn't at that time, I was still fighting my life sentence. And I'm like, man, I might never see my brother again. And the guards, uh, I remember, you know, I had enough respect from the guards and my situation and stuff. They let us have our own private visit on the yard with one of the guards at nighttime before he got transferred to Helicon Youth Centers. And uh, I just remember so much emotion going on that night, you know, like, man, bro, I might, I might not never see you again, man. Yeah. You know, this might be the last time. And I remember us, both of us kind of crying and hugging each other. And I prayed with them. And, uh, you know, and then <laughs> six years later, I see him in Solidad on North Yard. <laughs> like another family union on yeah. from juvenile hall. To- yeah. I remember him so... Yeah, a lot. Yeah, how many Every, times do you see brothers that? Brothers and dads and uncles yeah. and everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I remember uh, when I went through the county on multiple occasions. Every every level I hit, you know, the two thousand floor, bam! Hey, your uncle's right here. And when I was catching the chain, I seen my own, another uncle of mine in the in the unit. He's like, hey, right, right, and getting getting my attention. And it was like all throughout the county, you know, seeing uh, family, uncle, cousin. You name yeah. it. And it was like yeah. just a so, normal thing, man. We, 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 our culture, our, our folks are caught up in a, a twisted culture, man, that, that's uh, like modern day slavery. Yeah. That, that, that fi- yeah, that finds that's acceptable, that, yeah. that lifestyle, that state of degradation, you know, it's acceptable form yep. of, of living, you know, that's sad. But um, so, so, I mean, you got so much going on today, man, and, and, and those choices that you made early on have had, a huge impact on on 
what you did, what you decided to get involved with while incarcerated. Um, and, and so when you finally paroled, you paroled with a completely different mindset. Because we know, how many guys do you know parole worse than they came in? Just because of them just not getting involved in certain uh, uh, programs or, or, or taking advantage of certain opportunities, like education for one. You know, I know you paroled with degrees. There's so many guys who just sit there and, and, and play go- uh, cards and handballs all day and, and, and fail to invest in that area of their life. And so, you know, they put themselves as a, at a disadvantage when they finally parole. But you, you didn't do that because you hit the, 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 the CDC with a, a completely different mindset. You start taking advantage of all these different programs. And so um, tell us, tell us uh, how that kind of set the stage for you, man, for when you paroled. Yeah. And, so, and ultimately I mean, what in the you first couple years of incarceration, I wasn't really trying to do nothing. I was trying to fight an appeal until I finally accepted this is my fate. Right. Uh, and I remember uh, right. getting transferred. So I went jail to Wasco to Pleasant Valley. They closed down Pleasant Valley G Yard. And then I went to CMC East, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, we can go on to that a little later, uh, another piece. But uh, I remember being there and then you showing up and a couple other brothers and all of us are pretty young. Uh, and you got a life sentence. A couple other brothers got a life sentence. And I remember seeing you, uh, you know, uh, going to Bible college. And uh, I had started making a lot of changes. And I was like, man, if, if Ray going to Bible college and he got a life sentence, like I should be able to start doing something too. I should just not be sitting around right here. And so that kind of motivated and inspired me. Like, you know what? I want to learn everything I can about this God walk and I want to go to Bible college. So first thing I need to do is get my GD. And so that kind of inspired me. I, I went out there and I banged that GD out. It was just the Bible and that big old GD book for like three months. And, uh, and then I ended up going to the hole nice. and uh, at CMC for whatever reason, transferred out to Soledad. And, and it was pretty much on lockdown all the time at Soledad North Yard for the whole time I was there, on and off lockdowns. And uh, and uh, I kept trying programs or trying to do something because I knew, like, I need to prepare for when I got out. You know, there I came up with this saying, uh, and I put it on shirts now when I go and talk at schools. If it's meant to be, it's up to me, you know? Like, I need, ain't nobody's going to help me out. Mm-hmm and do the work that I need to do for myself. And so I need to find out a way to, to prepare myself the best for the streets, to be ready to go out there and succeed. And cause I got a lot of stuff against me, you know? And so, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I I remember talking to a group in CGA and, you know, we all have this story of no one being there for us. And so, you know, I remember telling them, look, man, you probably never had nobody on the sideline cheering for you, but you know what? You got to be your best cheerleader. You know, I mean, no one else is going to do it for you, but you kind of exactly what you're saying, man. If it's up, if it's meant to be, it's up to you. Yeah. So if you, you don't, know, I mean, I everybody else that 100%, yard, working man. Out, politicking, playing dominoes, gambling, basketball, handball, you know, and I, and I did uh, handball and basketball and some other things, but I knew I had to start investing in my future and, and find those ways to do it. And I, everywhere I went, I tried to do that. So they had a, was an IYOP, Inmate Youth Defender something program. Uh, but I tried to get in that, and they were like, nah, man, you ain't uh-huh. going to parole. You have to parole before you're 25 years old. And that was like a free college thing. And I was like, that's crazy. The whole system Right, right. I remember me. that. Right. They had all these different stipulations that, that, that uh, canceled the, you out, where a lot of people who wanted to do it couldn't because some little yeah, it didn't make criteria no sense. that they kept them from doing it. Ridiculous. It doesn't matter if I'm out when I'm 30, right. 29, 50, whatever, like. 
you help me with the education, it's going to best prepare me for when I get out. And so I was hitting, hitting doors, uh, hitting walls everywhere. Right. And then right. finally, uh, when I was at Solidad in the North Yard, they had Coastline Community College there and people were doing it from lockdown. And I was like, man, we, and we basically built a network mm. of all of us. You know, I started learning from other dudes that were going there. I took one class, you know, cause I didn't think I, I didn't think I was smart enough. So I just took one class to see, hey, can I hang with this college stuff? I passed it. I got like a B. I was like, man, this is crazy. I'm going to try it again because I didn't believe in myself. <laughs> I did it again. I got like an A. I did that a couple more times until I built up enough confidence and said, you know, I'm going to take two classes this time. And I just went all the way through. And we, I mean, we were, we were getting books and copying books in the program office and black and sharing books with each other. To, just the hustle. Right, right. Yeah. And yeah. you're doing what you and can, so, but uh, in a good way. I ended right? up paroling with the AA degree in social and behavioral science. I was, I had a couple more uh, classes to get the business degree. Uh, uh, I, I paroled with a drug and alcohol certification. You know, I started doing all the, anything that I could do to prepare myself. I know I didn't like to talk in front of people too much. I started taking, I tried to sign up for Toastmasters, never got in because the wait list was so long, but I got into AVP. AVP helped me out, alternative violence program. Uh, I started going to, I never really, I've never had no problem with the, as far as drugs and alcohol addiction. My addiction was mostly that way of lifestyle, the streets, the money, trying to make, trying to hustle the money and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So I started going to those me things too. and listening to people, yeah. uh, you know, and when I was younger, I would think like these, these dudes are all knocks, they're dope fiends, you know, I, like I, I had their card, I know how to play their card. And, uh, and I started growing empathy and simple and sympathy and then seeing how bad I was and the things I was thinking because I was no different than anybody else uh, with that. It's just my, my addiction was to green to money or, or that street life, you know? And uh, I started whatever I could right. do when we were not on lockdown, I started participating. So like uh, impact, they had an impact class where they bring people victims and share their stories. And so I was like, man, I need to learn how to sympathize with people. Cause I felt like really cold hearted. A lot of things, even though I was making changes, you know, and uh, so I got involved in SAP at North right. Yard for three three years. I became the head mentor. Uh, when I went to uh, East Dorm and saw that, I got involved in We Care and Life Cycles. Uh, and so just started mentoring people, helping people out, whatever I was doing, trying to help them out, making a plan for when I got out, making multiple plans. And then when I paroled, all that stuff kind of fell together. It felt like God just started preparing. All those things God was preparing me for when I paroled, you know? When I paroled, I didn't have nowhere to go. I got exiled from all Monterey right. County and San Luis Obispo County. And uh, because I was in the SAP program, I had 90 days free of aftercare and another 90 days of an SLE, a sober living environment. And so I told him, well, look, send me send me to the next closest thing to the Salinas because I didn't did, you know, wrong. And my family didn't see me doing wrong so long that I needed to be close enough where they could see me do right before some of them, like my grandparents, passed away. And so I went, they sent me to Cisa Puede, which was a program in Watsonville. And, uh, you know, things, things just uh, fell in place, man. God, God prepared every little single step before I even touched down or I even knew uh, for it to all unfold in front of me, you know, and, and things worked out. And, and uh, that education helped me eventually get a job. I got back in school. I got some more certificates. I got a bachelor's degree, uh, you know, things. Things I still I want to go knock out this master's degree, but I got so many kids and my wife and other responsibilities and work that sometimes it's 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 a, a struggle to try to knock out all that schoolwork, you know. Having my eye on that and figuring out when I can do that. Right. I got accepted recently to uh, 
this uh, law school right. to become an independent forensic gang expert, uh, which which will be which got pretty good pay, but you also get to help people out. So like like when I was getting my gang enhancements, uh, the gang task force would come and say a bunch of stuff that wasn't true, and so we get to once they train us, we get to pick all that stuff apart for other people and help them uh, find find a different path to uh, to change their right. life too. I got the Keys of Life YouTube channel that I created trying to just collect all of our stories so other people can learn and grow from that and, and hopefully get, be inspired to change and they can see some real life people, you know, that they can relate to, you know, you have some inspiration, some, in, some inspiration, huh? Yep. Uh, Things that they can really get them inspired. Uh, right. Absolutely. Uh, I'm working on a book with another brother, Patrick, that we both know. Uh, I'm hoping, hoping to have that published soon. I'm, I actually got, an idea to knock out about seven books, but we're focusing on my testimony book right now. And, uh, I'm hopefully to get that done in the next few months. Um, you know, I'm still in contact with people, uh, inside prison, as far as writing them, sometimes sending packages, uh, giving them advice, giving them, helping them set up a plan for when they get out. You know, a lot of the guys that, uh, I was incarcerated with, uh, a lot of them are home now, you know, because of the new laws and all that stuff. So, so them networking when we get out, right. you know, a lot of them are running programs now. Uh, uh, it's it's just a trip to see where all of us are at now because of the work that we put inside, uh, you know, and how God worked in all of us and the things that we didn't even know that were preparing a future for us out here to be able to help out other people. Uh, yeah, so it's 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 Absolutely. been it's been really cool. Absolutely. There's a bunch of brothers too that are got deported that I'm in contact with constantly, uh, whether that's uh, helping them out or raising money to send to them so they can get their stuff. Cause they got a, a different barriers and struggles down there. Uh, it's just, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just awesome, man. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of things. I don't even know how I got so much time to do things. I feel like I need Absolutely. more time. <laughs> you know what? I, Hey, I tell myself the same thing, but you definitely some, uh, somebody that I aspire to also uh, emulate because I, you know, I too, you know, I, I know that I've been created for something more than, 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 on what I'm doing, and so you know, it does inspire me. You know, and I can I can look at your life and see, like, man, there, you know, I just got to learn time management. And so, yeah, I appreciate all that you do, and and I know that lives are 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 being affected because because of your um, choices that you're making today, but in a positive way. And so, um, I know I've taken up a lot of your time. So, uh, to to bring this to conclusion, what would you say? Um, what would the, be one thing that you want uh to leave with the listeners about? just going forward with this podcast uh, and just I mean, in life I, in general. I think, uh, you know, change is possible no matter who you are or how far you've fallen or where, or where you're at, no matter who says that you will never change or you're, or you'll never, you'll never amount to anything. You know, I remember people telling me things like that. Like if you have the will and the determination and the support around you, like you can, you can make it happen. And, and uh, you know, I'm a firm believer in God and Jesus Christ. And, and uh, you know, with, with that combination, you can't go wrong. When God's on your side, you can do anything, man. There, the sky, the sky's the limit. There, really, there's no limit. You know, God, God can make things happen that you wouldn't even imagine happening. And I, and I feel like that's my life. Like I, I never imagined I would be where I'm at today. You know, I remember a brother when we were on the yard. He used to say, "I'd rather fight the whole yard Absolutely. than fight against God," and that's true. You know. Because cause everybody can do all this stuff and deny <laughs> yeah. or plan yeah. and plot on you or whatnot, but God can bring all that stuff to nothing. And if you read that Bible, you know, the Psalms, the Proverbs everywhere, you see how King David, all the stuff that he went through, 
And God, all I mean, all of them, Jeremiah, Nehemiah, all of them, like God was with them. Joseph, when he was in prison, to bring him to power to where he was at, like God can make something out of nothing and he can turn your whole life around and and, and make it happen. And you wouldn't even, you're just going to be shocked, man. And, and all the good that's come from that and the ripple effects of helping other people is just amazing. And, and it's good, man. Like God can make it happen. You just got to, you just got to get, get with it, man. You know, follow, follow God and chase him. Yeah, definitely. It's different, definitely rewarding and living a fulfilled life. Um, so, you know, Danny, I just want to thank you, man. Thank you for taking the time. I know that this went over an hour, but your story is definitely fascinating. Like I said, it's a testament to what God can do in a person's life, regardless of the choices that he's made. And I'm a firm believer that it's not how we started, but it's how we end that really matters. And so you're very, you're definitely ending well, my man. And so, uh, I want to congratulate you with that. And, and to our listeners, thank you for supporting uh, our efforts in bringing awareness to incarceration and life after incarceration. Danny, thank you, and you have a good day. Yes, appreciate sir, all right, bro. You have a good day, your, too. God appreciate bless. your contribution, brother.